Never trust a big butt and a smile. Belle Biv DeVoe. Now you know. Everybody, 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 welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm your friend and buddy, Kentad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, another friend and buddy. Please say hello to AJ Mass. Phew, I thought for a second there I was being left out of the friend and buddy club, but I'm glad that I'm included. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, AJ. Uh, so, folks, what we do is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. We take an uh, in-depth look at each episode and uh, recap it. And our, our bit is that I have never seen this show before, so this is a first watch for me. And uh, AJ has seen the show plenty of times, so uh, this is uh, basically not a first watch for him. He knows the scoop of what's going to happen, but nobody's going to give me any spoilers. They're going to make me go along for the ride. That's yeah, we're going to make you earn it. <laughs> yeah. So what do we have this week? This week, we are reca- recapping season one, episode 13 of Criminal Minds. It's entitled Poison. It originally aired on January 18th, 2006. Directed by one Thomas J. Wright and written by Aaron Zellman, who, uh, if you remember, AJ also wrote episode three, Won't Get Fooled Again, where we had the Mad Bomber and that that whole scene. So uh, Uh, that was a pretty good episode. So uh, let's see how this one goes. Absolutely. I think uh, this one is uh, a nice little uh, companion piece for that one. Yes, indeedy. So uh, we'll get right into it and start it out. We have a father and his son driving down a dark road in what we are told is Beechwood, New Jersey, which I checked because now I'm checking all of these things and sure. it is an actual location near near Tom's River. It uh, is, although uh, we will hear at some point that they are uh, just off exit five and uh, if they're in the Garden State <laughs> Parkway, then uh, there is no exit five and it's way south. So I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe Turnpike side, but I'll at least give them credit because in this first scene, we, we will see a New Jersey State Trooper car. And that is an accurate representation okay. of a New Jersey State Trooper car. So Excellent. town exists, car exists. I don't know if the locale was exactly precise, but uh, <laughs> points for effort. Okay, so this father and son are driving down a road, and and it's a dark road. Uh, The dad is remarking on how the trees look kind of scary, sort of like in the movie they just saw. Uh, The boy didn't really like the movie, and we hear some chatter between them and the father saying how it's cool every other week they get to hang out, eat junk food, stay up late, and see mother's movies that his mother uh, wouldn't have approved of. Yeah, I think uh, after after uh, last week's uh, separated family, I, I, <laughs> I, we're we're seeing that this is going to be a trend a lot in Criminal Minds, a lot of uh, broken homes, uh, recent divorces, and custody on the weekends kind of thing. But at least we know that he already has the kid, so he isn't going to be kidnapping the kid. <laughs> right. All of a sudden, uh, he looks up and notices a deer in the road and swerves his car, and his son is like, WTF, Dad because apparently he didn't see this deer. Then we hear a noise, and it appears that the car has a flat tire. 
the son is saying they should call someone, but the dad is like, it's a flat tire. You know, despite what your mom says about me, I'm not completely useless. I'll be right back. He gets out to change a tire. AJ, I don't want to give away anything yet, but I guess I sort of am. Do you think that there was actually a flat tire? It's a very good question. I mean, the kid didn't say, why are you pulling over? I don't, I didn't hear a flat tire. So it is possible that he did get the flat tire as a result of, uh, his initial swerve to avoid the deer that wasn't there. But then, you know, the deer could have been there. The kid might not have just been paying attention. I mean, kids in a car late at night. Right. And, you know, when I was first watching it, I I didn't feel like anything was off. Like, we're going to find out, okay, here's the spoiler. This guy is basically hallucinating some things. And now I'm wondering if that, but that did leave me wondering afterward if the whole thing like, everything was a hallucination. Yeah, I mean, in, in the end, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I would say probably the flat tire was legit. So, anyway, the dad hears, uh, as he's uh, starting to change a tire, he's hearing some spooky sounds coming off from, there's like a forest off the side of the road. And uh, the son wants to know what's going on. And, and he's like, it's nothing. It's just the wind, Eric. Get back in the car. Starts to work on the tire again, and then more forest noises uh, startle him. He drops the tire iron, and and Eric is like, what's going on, Dad? Nothing, nothing. Stay in the car. Uh, then we get some freaky music playing, and the uh, dad hears some sounds and notices figures in the forest. They're menacing, and they start to come at him, and he starts screaming, get away from me, get away from me, get away from my son. And he's swinging the tire iron at them. He turns around and sees what appears to be, I'll just call a monstrous apparition um, in front of him. And he rears back and swings that tire iron ferociously. We get a quick shot before they cut away. And it's an empty car seat where his son was sitting previously. Then we cut to daylight and a cop and a state police cruiser, an accurate police cruiser, apparently, (laughs) uh, approaches the car which is still pulled over to the side of the road with the trunk wide open. Uh, The cop approaches the driver's side window and then the jump scare, the dad sort of like start is in the car and he starts freaking out, get away, get away. And uh, he's uh, clearly deranged. Uh, The cop tells him to calm down. He's, he goes to radio for backup and he's walking around the car. And as he does this, he sees the Jack on the ground and that the passenger door is open. He turns to the forest and immediately radios in that he's going to need an ambulance, and we cut to a disturbing shot of the bloodied, unconscious Eric laying there in the leaves. Yeah, uh, which was that a surprise to you, to see the kid lying there uh, dead in the leaves, or, you know, wounded in the leaves at that point? Yes, I think it was. Yeah, I thought what was really cool about this. Yeah, I, I of course, you know, having seen the episode, I knew that that's what we were going to discover there. I thought the sound mixing did a really good job. But because if, if you go back to the father's delusion of attacking the monster, you can actually hear it's lower than the actual audio, but you can hear Eric screaming as the father is swinging. He's clearly hitting Eric, and we're hearing his screams, but it's kind of just mixed into the delusion. Right. So I thought they did a nice job of of prepping it for prepping you for it uh, subconsciously uh, so that when you see it, it's not that much of a surprise. I mean, it's still shocking and horrible, but uh, right. at least they kind of somehow incepted it into your brain as a possibility. Right. 
Now we uh, pull out from that picture of the boy, and it's a picture, and it's being held by not one of the BAU team, but our local detective for this case, Detective Hanover. He's played by a familiar-looking that guy, Nestor Serrano. I didn't really look up his credits, but I, I, you've seen him before. Yeah, he's like in an episode of everything. I actually called him uh, uh, Detective Not Elliot Stabler. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he's showing the picture to the distraught father and is telling him, look, the boy is unconscious. He has four fro- broken bones. He's going to be in the hospital for a month, which and I'm actually glad to hear this because I did think he was dead from that first shot of him. The dad is saying, I didn't hurt my son. We get some a little bit more camera trickery. And then we realize that this interrogation is actually a video that the BAU team is watching from the roundtable room. You know, when Gideon starts to spin the top, <laughs> we wait to see if it wobbles. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> so the dad doesn't even remember anything about this. He doesn't remember removing the tire iron from the trunk. The last thing he remembers is picking up Eric from school on that Friday for the weekend. And he is even asking what day this is. Hotch tells us that this happened two to eight days ago in Beechwood, New Jersey. Apparently, Mr. Fisher had ingested LSD one afternoon and he didn't come down until 18 hours later. JJ says that the hospital has reported six other patients who ingested LSD in the last 24 hours. The hospital then called the CDC and the CDC called the BAU team. Morgan says, so a bunch of people got spiked. What that makes it a what makes it a BAU case? <laughs> Which I think they have to say every episode, why is this a BAU case? Well, either they have to say, I mean, eventually they'll they'll not because they they know that we know eventually. But I do like Morgan, I think probably goes, Where is this? New Jersey? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> Don't want to <Yeah>. go. <laughs> so Hotch says, well, they each received 10 to 20 times the normal dose which would be uh, enough to kill a small child. And Elle says, or cause a grown man to kill him with the tire iron. And uh, JJ says, of the seven victims, there was one death and one coma. And they show some hospital footage from the same night that Mr. Fisher, who is our dad, the same night that he uh, had his incident. And they watch a quick video of people freaking out in a hospital corridor. (laughs) Idiot. Gideon says these people didn't get spiked. These people were poisoned. Dun, dun, dun. Credits. So after the credits. It's not Grey's Anatomy. I know you probably thought it was Grey's Anatomy from that shot before the credits. Right. No, right. it was Critical uh, Lines. Thank you, because I wasn't sure. Uh, I was looking for Dream... Uh, Dreamy, McDream, McDreamy. McDreamy, yes. <laughs> McDreamy, McSteamy, <laughs> McNuggets, I don't know. <laughs> so after the credits, hey, it's the uh, jet. I feel like we haven't seen it in a while, but maybe we have. I, I well, no you longer don't, you know, You don't need a jet to go to Delaware, but you do need a jet to go to New Jersey, which is a mile away from Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> and if it was actually Exit 5... Really, it's really close to. to you know, that's what if I'm there saying. Were yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You know, you could, you could just you could just take the bridge, the lose bridge, and just go right over. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we do uh, see the jet and get our quote for the start of the show. Gideon says, uh, Roman philosopher Lucretius wrote, what is food to one is to others bitter poison. Fair? Because we're talking about poison, but I mean, I mean we, don't, we don't know how they got poison just yet. So, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, usual on the plane, they're taking the time to discuss the case and the victimology. JJ is reporting there's only been one fatality. This was Gail Norman, age 78, who ran out into the middle of the road and was hit by a car. There was also a nine-year-old girl who is in a coma after she fell out of her treehouse. Gideon asks JJ how she wants to handle the press. She thinks it would be irresponsible to issue a warning without any specifics because that'll just cause a panic. Morgan asks, how is it possible that none of these people knew how they got poisoned? Hotch says none of them remembers anything about the day that it happened. These people were so messed up, which has made it really difficult for the local PD to retrace their footsteps. Gideon says, we need to go on precedent. We know that there's four types of poisoners who target multiple victims. The next part makes me feel like I was picking out a character to play in a <laughs> poisoner role-playing game. Just as they go over the four types, I could imagine like each one stepping forward for. <laughs> now, they... what we're gonna do is the the true believers are gonna close their eyes, and then I'm gonna say, "Open your eyes," so the true believers will know who the other true believers are. <laughs> and when you discover the werewolf, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So Hutch starts off. He says, "Well, we have the true believer." which is like the political terrorist or, or religious cult type of personality. Then our next prototype is the extortionist. Who This is the guy who is a product tamperer who holds a business hostage in exchange for money. Uh, L brings up the prankster, which is usually a younger offender who doesn't really mean any harm and is basically just a big, stupid, practical joke. And Hotch uh, gets to say, and the avenger. Someone with a personal vendetta who chooses poison as their weapon. I've already got my guess of which is going to be just from the four types. But <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, you, you're writing them and you put them in an order. I mean, you know, that's why I always put multiple choice questions in alphabetical order. So you can't game theory this. <laughs> yeah. But I at least do like the fact that they're like, OK, there are four types. Here are the four types. We're going to investigate. And when we determine which one of the four types it is, profile. Boom. You know, I think I think it works out nicely. Yeah, it does. They're kind of hoping that it's the prankster because that'll make this a bit easier to deal with. And if it's not the prankster, the other types usually go on to poison a larger amount. Like to this is this is the setup for maybe what will be a larger attack if it's one of the other three. Yeah, exactly. I think it's 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 a nice setup. It's it's. Uh... It, it, it also, it sets up for the fact that the next time that they have a poisoner, if, if there is a next time, spoiler alert, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've already established the precedent that there are other types, so they can do a different type and it won't necessarily be the same old episode again. Which is nice. Yeah. They make some plans for splitting up the team and Reed is like, I'll check the lab reports because maybe there's a clue to the unsub's motive due to which kind of poison he used. Hotch says he can't imagine anybody could want this to happen and holds up a picture of the bandaged and bruised boy in the hospital so that we can travel there by photo. 
got to do the Kodak travel. I mean, you know, yeah. this, the, the Polaroid uh, process of <laughs> place to place works out very nicely on this show. Oh, it's their favorite way. It's their favorite way so far for season one. <laughs> <laughs> so Detective Hanover is there in the hospital. He comes up and introduces himself to Hotch and Gideon. They ask to speak to the father and Hanover says he's in the psych ward. We cut to Gideon talking to Mr. Fisher. Gideon says, Mr. Fisher, and Fisher asks him if he's a shrink or a cop. And He says, I'm an FBI profiler, so I guess I'm a little bit of each. He introduces himself, and then he cuts right to the chase, as Gideon is wont to do. He asks Fisher about his divorce. Fisher admits to being very angry at his wife. She apparently cheated on him with the investment banker next door. Instead of being angry with the mom, the son is angry with him. But still, he wouldn't hurt his son. And Gideon goads him a bit, asking if he wants to hurt her. You know, why not the kid? I mean, it's her kid. He takes her side. You want to crush him, too. Uh, Fisher denies it and starts screaming, no, no, oh, no. And then he starts slamming his head against the the wall, the back of his head against the wall behind him. Uh, So they try to calm him down. Then we cut to Gideon, who's... uh, Talking about this to the team, he says this guy is angry, but he doesn't think the man would hurt his son to get back at the mother. So they figure the drugs probably tapped into the rage that this guy had, but they didn't cause it. Reed mentions that they didn't find any trace of PCP or any other drug indicating that the unsub was intentionally trying to make people violent. But they did find traces of rohypnol in all of the victims. L takes time to explain to us what rohypnol is. Hello, people in the audience who are a little bit older and may not know what rohypnol is. It is always hard when they do these over-explaining to me to go, no, did we know what this was at the time? Was this new? Because I think in today, it would just be like, they just, first of all, I mean, Reed would say rohypnol and then someone would just say, yeah, roofies, and we'd move on. (laughs) But was it new? I don't think it was new back then either. I think we knew at that point. I feel like we did. But I don't know. But yeah, El's got to like explain it for us. So yeah, like you said, meh, meh, yeah. meh. Reed says one of the side effects of the, of the roofies are uh, amnesia, which explains why none of the victims can remember how they were poisoned. There doesn't seem to be any pattern as to the victims as to who got hit. Maybe the drugs themselves could help them figure out what kind of offender they're talking about. They mentioned that a lot of kids use LSD and rohypnol, and Mr. Fisher was a high school teacher. Maybe they're lucking out, and it's a prank after all. So uh, Hutch gets a call, and uh, it figures it seems like the cops may have figured out where everybody was dosed. Hey, this case is going to wrap up in 10 minutes. Awesome. Yeah. We can, we can move <laughs> yeah. on to next week's episode. I'll get the quiz ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, AJ. Uh, what? It goes on a bit longer. We cut to what looks like a cafe and Hanover is saying the police were canvassing there and the staff there remembers seeing four of the seven victims on the day that they reported the symptoms. JJ hopes that they didn't mention uh, during this canvassing that this was about a poisoning and they didn't, but they did have to tell the owner and JJ is is basically worried that this is going to get leaked now. Uh, She's going to go talk to the staff and make sure they know to keep this quiet. And uh, Gideon is asking the owner if she can think of anyone who who would do something like this. 
You know, there's high school kids hanging around because at this point they're looking into the kids angle and the owner doesn't know any, but any one that might do it, but mentions that they should talk to Danny, who's one of her bus boys, who's a high school kid. And his friends always come in there and hang around. And his girlfriend was also there that Saturday night. He was supposed to come back to work after school that day to that day that they're talking, but he called in sick. His last name is Wallace, so he's Danny Wallace. Uh, Hotch says he'll have Elle check out at, at the school, and Gideon asks the owner if she has a phone number for him. Uh, so we cut next to Elle, who is outside of a house. Yeah, everybody gets to work together, but Elle, you go by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the newbie. You don't need to have anybody with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the one hand, I mean, I do trust her to be able to hand herself around, uh, you know, a high school kid, even if it turns out to be a giant unsub, or, you know, she, she's already proven that she can handle herself and take care of herself in, in one-on-one situations. I mean, that's kind of the introduction way back in the day was, you know, by herself alone with an unsub. So I don't dispute her, her capability. It's just always funny that it's like, all right, you two over there, you two go over there, L. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So she's uh, telling Gideon that they checked the high school and uh, they checked Wallace's house. He wasn't there. So now she's uh, at the girlfriend's house. She's going to check it out. She knocks on the door and the girlfriend named Samantha answers after identifying herself as FBI. Uh, Samantha does let Ellen to talk. Uh, Her parents are at work, but she still lets this FBI agent in to talk. Elle asks her why she didn't go to school today. Uh, And she also says, and neither did your boyfriend. The girl says she's sick. And Elle notices that there's some bruising around her chest and neck area. And Elle says, I I think something happened to you. Can we talk about that? And the girl says she doesn't know. She doesn't remember. And Elle asks her, well, what do you remember? Samantha says uh, her boyfriend took her someplace on his motorcycle. And she remembers waking up naked and all beat up he was there above her holding her down her boyfriend danny that is the phone rings and samantha answers because she called the hospital before but this call is clearly from her boyfriend danny el tells her not to hang up and keep him talking all that usual stuff they have a quick conversation but danny is kind of spooked by it and, and hangs up L figures out that he's nearby, tells Samantha to call 911 and lock the door behind her. So she runs out and uh, she's calling for backup. And then she hears a motorcycle starting. She walks around this big RV that's in the driveway. And uh, there's Danny Wallace about to leave. But she pretty much arrests him with no no difficulty. I mean, it's not like he's going to fi- try to fight her or anything. Yeah, no kerfuffle there. The, you know, it's... I think first of all, I think Elle handled the situation fine, like perfectly. She was she was good with with the you know the girlfriend and reassuring, got her to open up and everything. My only issue with the writing of the scene is that we know what happened in the beginning scene. You know, where like this guy was dosed and beat up his son and has no memory of it and everything. And you know. Uh, I don't think they're looking at it as, oh, my God, this guy is such a horrible offender. He he really wanted to beat up his son. He's a danger. You know, they treated him as a, someone who is a victim himself. And right. here she, she hears the story like, yeah, I I was sick. And, you know, I, I don't remember what happened. And he 
beat me and there's not a thing goes on in Elle's mind that says maybe maybe he was dosed too and doesn't know what he's doing and he's confused as well it, it just it just strikes me as a little odd that uh instantly it's like you just beat this girlfriend up it doesn't happen in yeah. a vacuum I mean, it's still bad yeah. what he did but at least consider the possibility that maybe he doesn't really know what happened either yeah and and just Elle's tendency to go all in on the the sexual assault uh, Tidness of it all instead of the poisonedness. <laughs> and granted, if it is sexual assault, hey, throw him against the RV, you know. <laughs> right. Him up a little bit. That's fine. He deserves it. But it just given the extenuating circumstances, like, it's good, 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 good. So our next scene is L questioning Danny, who is saying he didn't do anything. L is really pouring it on and very accusatory and, and she finally brings up, he said, and says, you hit her. He says he didn't mean to. She was freaking out and punching him. She was on something. He was just trying to help her, just trying to hold her down. Elle says she was hitting you, but you still had sex with her. And he's like, no, that's not the order of how things happened. It was after they had sex, they fell asleep. And when she woke up, then she was crazy and seeing things and says she was on something like it was acid or something. And uh, if you give that to someone without them, without telling them, it doesn't exactly set the mood for for romance. And we cut to outside of the interrogation room and the rest of the team is there watching. And Morgan says, well, the kid is right about that. To... <laughs> Why does he know that? <laughs> <Yeah>. Good point. <laughs> he says, uh, kid is right about that. If he wanted to slip her a date rape drug, why would he give her LSD as well? And Reed says, well, this boy seems too scared not to be telling us the truth. So they figure maybe Samantha was just the eighth victim and the boyfriend happening to work in the cafe is just a coincidence. Yeah, there's 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 one one mo- moment in the interrogation where Elle does that thing that Elle tends to do where, you know, she does accuse him, says, you know, says, you know, she told me that sex was an issue and that she wasn't ready to give it up. So you must have just decided to take it. And I, again, it's like. When did Elle have this conversation? Yeah. <laughs> we saw all her interaction. Yeah. And if she did have this conversation with, with Samantha, I, I mean, I think she was just using it as an interrogation tactic, potentially. But if she did have this, why is she waiting again to tell us? <laughs> she always holds this information back and pulls it out. You know, <laughs> I knew about this three hours ago. It, 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 again, just weird, weird writing for Elle. <laughs> yeah. Gideon uh, says there's probably an explanation why there was the two different drugs, LSD to cause hallucinations, and then the hypnol to forget. Morgan says, forget what? What they were hallucinating? And Gideon says, no, to forget how they got dosed. So they figure that the unsub is covering his tracks, which is much too organized for a high school prankster. There still hasn't been any kind of ransom demand so they're going to rule out the extortionist type of poisoner. There's no visible political group or cult in the area, which rules out the true believer type of poisoner. And Reed says, that leaves us with the Avenger. Avengers assemble! <laughs> <laughs> At which point three portals open up and... <laughs> Never mind. It's the best scene! Oh, on your left! T'challa! <laughs> <laughs> So Hotch is saying, well, now we can do our profile. So we cut to the police station. And now that they know the type of poisoner it is, as you said, they got their profile. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 as much as I quibble with uh, a little bit of the writing here and there, I think this was set up very nicely. It's like, here are the four types. We narrowed it down to one. Now it's time to deliver a profile. Okay, I'm beginning to see a little method to the madness and how this works here. I understand why now is the time to deliver the profile. <laughs> I don't always understand. <laughs> uh, so here's the profile. They believe whoever poisoned these people was motivated by revenge. Everything points to it being a local resident. Revenge poisoners mostly act alone. However, this guy may have manipulated someone close to him to assist him. If that happens, the unsub usually disposes of these accomplices when they're of no further use. Our unsub is cautious, deliberate, and probably a highly functioning male between the ages of 35 and 50. He chose LSD for a reason. He was also savvy enough to use Rohypnol to obstruct the investigation and this guy is covering his tracks because these victims aren't his primary targets. Avengers test their weapon first, so this attack was a test run. This is probably not the first time that he's aired his grievances, and it's possible that he has filed criminal charges or pursued a civil action against his adversaries, or who he thought were his adversaries. And uh, now, to measure the results of his test, he's watching to see what happens. Once he figures that out, then he'll be able to release his rage in the form of a larger attack. This profile indicates that a lot of people could die. And that's not good. <laughs> good, no good. No, there's a lot of stake here. This is a big case. Now, we, now I, I, I wish someone had turned to Mark and exhaust, and that's why the BAU was brought in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been good. Uh, JJ walks in to tell Hotch that they've got a leak. We cut to a news report news reporter Suzanne Wang. <laughs> Suzanne Wang, Channel 16 News on Exposition TV. All the exposition all the time. Timed exactly to when you turn your TV on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, she's she's reporting the news of the poisoning and that the CDC is testing the food. And the whole time Gideon's sort of talking back to her on screen, like, yeah, but what's the name of the place? You gotta name the restaurant. Once you report this story, basically, you've got to name the restaurant or what does happen is going to happen because as soon as the report is over, JJ says they didn't name the restaurant and the BAU team starts going into overdrive talking about they've got to notify the local hospital what's coming. Uh, we've got to get extra nine one one workers set up. Uh, again, it feels like. Very recently, he mentioned auxiliary cops before, and now so we get that line again. We need some auxiliary cops to help out. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to put it in next week's episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> A-U. A-U. Really? A-U? Okay. A-U-X. <laughs> and Hanover is like, what's going on? What's going on? He actually shuts up the whole room and stops <laughs> yeah, all of everything from happening. Because, And I loved it. I was like, yeah, like you guys are like moving a mile a minute. You haven't even told me what's up yet. I'm a CBS viewer. Tell me what's happening. <laughs> yes. And then all of a sudden we cut to a bunch of different phones and there's like a little light show of red lights on the phones to indicate all the lines lighting up. And I really don't think that's how it would work, AJ, the way they were lighting up. But I, I get the point. You know? it, it was a nice, it, look, this is, television is visual medium. So it was a nice job of, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It probably wouldn't happen that quickly or that way, but okay, cool. Message delivered. When they don't name the restaurant, everyone who has any symptom of 
anything is going to assume that they have been poisoned and are now going to call somebody in a panic, be it the cops, be it the hospitals, a doctor, their friends, uh, anyone who works for Fox News. <laughs> it's just like, oh, goodness. And the thing is that annoys me about it is like, I get that this happens. And I, I especially then, a little less so now, I think, but especially then, that was the start in news reporting where people were very afraid of giving wrong information that they would then have to retract. So if they accused a restaurant of being the location of poisonings uh, and then it was discovered that, oh, we that's not what's going on here, that's not the restaurant, there'd, there'd be lawsuits and people were very afraid of that sort of thing. So they went the extreme the other way and they said, we're yeah. not going to tell you the name of the restaurant until we know for sure 100% that this is all the... But you're still reporting the story, first of all. So yeah. just stop that nonsense. And B... Why would you not just put a caption up showing where you are? We're standing here in front of this restaurant where this happened. I mean, you set up your stand, stand up yeah. piece there. Like, it's very simple to do that. Like, but they specifically chose them. Like, we're down the block from this, and we're not going to tell you exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, it, it was exacerbating yeah. it for the drama's sake of it. Uh, even though I like that it happened, it just you know, as someone in, in media, as my job, I, I hate when it's done poorly, even to. Uh, insinuate that it's being done poorly. <laughs> I, I agree. So now we cut to a little bit later and the police station is busy, busy answering all those phone calls because yes, panic has, has been made. Pan There's panic, panic is ensuing. Yes. This <laughs> is was forewarned on the jet when they said, when JJ was like, yeah, the media shouldn't get involved because otherwise it's going to be panic. Like, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. mm hmm. By the way, we are what, 15 minutes into this episode at this point? I don't even know where we are in terms of time. But uh, after several weeks of no one saying the episode title, I mean, it's it's yeah. a simple episode title. <laughs> it's poison. We have we have had a myriad of people saying the episode title of this one. So uh, I think it's uh, overkill making up for <laughs> the week's dearth of it. But we have, yeah, Poison is said. Gideon was the first to say it, so I'm giving him the point. But uh, it's obviously, we say it a lot. But it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, thank God. We needed it. <laughs> Episode 7 was the last time someone said the title. I was about to give up this pursuit. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, JJ is there. She's saying she just got off with the hospital and they're swamped with over 50 potential poisonings from local restaurants. Uh, but no hallucinations, by the way. They don't have any leads yet to anyone that's connected from the cafe. So they think there's got to be somebody connected to that cafe who, who comes up as a suspect. So Ellen and Morgan decide they're going to go back to the cafe to see if they can come up with anything else. Uh, Hotch tells JJ and Reed to go to the hospital to see if any of the poisonings that were reported seem legit. Uh, we cut to the hospital and there are Reed and JJ and they stop a busy doctor to talk to her about the case. JJ tells her most of these food poisonings you're getting are probably psychosomatic um, because a news broadcast just reported a local restaurant was poisoned. And um, didn't say which one. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They asked the doctor to help them find out any of the cases, uh, if any of the cases are real, basically. The doctor says that people are coming in with all kinds of complaints, but she knows that there's at least one case that isn't psychosomatic. The woman is barely breathing. She can't find uh, the air? 
Don't know who she's kidding. Imagining she's yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, AJ. Well, all right, fine. Let's go. Talk, let's go talk about patient Duncan Sheik later. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they do ask to talk to the doctor that's treating that particular patient, and uh, then we cut over to the cafe, and uh, Morgan is talking to L, and he's saying, "If you're an Avenger." You choose your targets for a reason, right? And why haven't we found anyone connected to this cafe who fits the profile? And Nell says, well, why hasn't the CDC found any of the any trace of the drugs? Morgan says, wait a minute. What if it's not the profile that's wrong? What if we've got the wrong target? It's not this cafe. Just because a bunch of the victims happen to eat here doesn't necessarily mean they got poisoned there. Wait a second. Do you mean that correlation does not necessarily imply causation? Wow. What a concept. I feel like I've heard that before somewhere. <laughs> Cut back to the hospital. A doctor is telling Reed and JJ that this is a different doctor. And he's telling Reed and JJ when the this patient got here, she doesn't remember. She didn't remember anything about her day and her speech was so slurred and he could barely understand her. They did test her for Rohypnol and she was positive for that, but she was negative for the LSD. They're running more tests because Rohypnol alone wouldn't explain her symptoms. She uh, she had nausea, difficulty swallowing, labored breathing. We see this woman. She's looking very sick, wearing an oxygen mask, coughing, uh, doesn't seem to to there, so to speak. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's not going to be uh, giving them an exclusive interview that's going to be very uh, elucidating anytime soon. <laughs> right. Uh, Reed asks if maybe there's any biological agents that could have have, have uh, similar symptoms like ricin or sarin gas. Uh, the doctor is like, oh, you think this is a biological attack? He says we can't rule anything out. So the doctor decides to order a few more tests on the patient. Fair, fair. We cut back to the cafe. Morgan hasn't found anything, but Elle was talking to the owner. And she says, hey, first New Jersey Federal Bank is right across the street. And one of the victims who she talked to says he went to the bank that day that he was dosed. Uh, so, again, yeah, okay. she's popping up okay. with information. <laughs> okay, yes. She just spoke with the owner. And said, the owner has no idea what you're talking about. She said, she says there's a bank across the street. Like, well, they could look out the window and know that there's a bank across the street. I don't, you know, like that, that's not very helpful. Elle. But then, yeah. Well, one of the victims, the victims are not hanging around the cafe at this point. So she must have heard this from the victim weeks ago, no, hours ago. Like, she's holding on to this information again. Like, Al, Al, Really? Like, she, you didn't even have to go to the cafe. Hotch could have said, hey, why don't you look for an alternative angle? You know, one of the victims told me that they, they had gone to the bank. Maybe it's the bank across the street. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that have made a lot more sense in the process of all this? Oh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> so they decide they're going to go over to the bank and look at the security tapes. We cut to the security office at the bank, and Morgan and Elle are there looking at the tapes. And they pause it, and there's Mr. Fisher and his son, Eric, at the area where you would fill out your deposit slips. And uh, Mr. Fisher takes a candy out of a bowl at that desk. And uh, and then they pause the video and says, well, that's all of them. Every single one of the victims who turned up at the ER three nights ago is on the tape. Elle is going to call Hanover to let him know. 
Morgan tells her to have him bring in the CDC guys to test the candies. Uh, he's going to call Hotch. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where the episode, I mean, the elephant started. This is the next step in me just losing all faith in this episode. Because he picks up the phone to call Hotch. And Hotch answers the phone and says, <clears throat> Morgan, it's Hotch. What's up? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Morgan <laughs> called him. Morgan yeah. knows that he just called Hodge. He said, I'm going to call Hodge. So Morgan would call. He would say, hello. And then Morgan would say, Hodge, it's Morgan. I got something <laughs> for you. I got something for you. Not Morgan, it's Hodge. What's up? <laughs> just, just, I want, what? Where is the script supervisor? That makes no sense. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> oh, I'm just getting started with the phone shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> so JJ pulls Reed over to the patient from before and uh, says, look, she's trying to say something. I hate these scenes where the, the, the dying person <laughs> like, who can't speak before all of a sudden, you know, can spit out a few words. And she's saying the eh, the eh. And uh, JJ says, the end? The end? <laughs> like, immediately, like, finishes whatever those sentence was, or the word was for her. Yes. Reed is like, she's probably incoherent from her lack of oxygen. <laughs> and the woman starts choking, and then they call for the doctor. And meanwhile, Morgan is telling Hotch that they're pretty sure it's the bank. All of the victims were on the security tapes. Hotch says, okay, look for Lim Dempsey, 45. Uh, Garcia's emailing a picture to your phone. We didn't see him, like, call Garcia or anything here, but... No, I, I will I will give you the the quickness of that, just a shortcut, because it wasn't like they were... He could have called Morgan back. Like, I, I will give you all that. Here's, here's, here's the problem, is that Garcia is sending the pic on his phone, so he pulls out the phone to look. Why was he not using his phone in the first place? Yeah, what <laughs> He's is on he the phone with Hodge. <laughs> yeah. He, he calls Hodge on the phone. Hodge will call him on his phone. And he pulls out his phone and looks. Well, he's on a different phone, which makes absolutely no sense. So I, I don't understand that. What, what, was he worried about the roaming charges because he's in New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't understand how he pulls out the phone and looks, oh, yeah, I got it. I just got it on my other phone, which was in my pocket the whole time, even though I'm talking to you on my phone. It just, ugh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also trying to think of how, how good cell phone quality pictures, like how quickly you could send them in 2005, like, or 2006. It, it was very quick that he yeah. got you know, yeah, I will. Give, I will give you that Garcia might have updated and all the latest state of the art, even secret technology at the home office at the BAU. But he, he's still using his flip phone, so you're absolutely right. Yeah. The best he could do was play Snake. <laughs> they, we, we weren't even talking about two G, three G, four G at that point. You yeah. know, it, we we don't know. We still had to uh, hit the button three times to get to the letter C. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, texting was 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 in our day. Good job. <laughs> texting was a task. Well, and the pixels weren't going to be there, but yeah. So that Morgan turns around, he shows that little grainy photo, like you were just saying. He shows the little grainy photo of Lynn Dempsey to L, and she goes, "Oh, flip, flip, flip. Here she is on this printout of all the people on this tape. What? <laughs> what? 
three seconds they have that. And then she says, wait, I'm going to go right to the video. There she is in three more <laughs> seconds. Yeah, that that was amazing technology. <laughs> uh, you know, normally it's like we're, we're still we're still analyzing the tapes. You know, we're going to it's going to take six or seven hours. And, you know, it took all night. We're still looking at the third tape there because we got to look at it in real time. In fact, like here she is. It all happens while he's on the phone with Hutch in the initial call. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Very quickly. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, they find her on the tape. And uh, they say not only was she there, but from what she's doing on the tapes, it looks like she was the one replacing the candies. Uh, <laughs> because also the, 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 you know, the sharpness and ability to zoom in and zoom out on the security feed is just spectacular. Again, if Garcia's got the tape and is using some manipulation, I will say, okay, FBI mumbo jumbo, Garcia's, uh, you know, great. I'll give them a little leeway. But on the security, click, click, roll. No, no. (laughs) There's like, at one point, there's like three different angles that they're zooming in on on this thing, which do not exist on a single VHS tape. A hundred percent agreed. Uh, so JJ, we cut back to the hospital and JJ is asking the doctor, is there any chance that Dempsey was not, was not poisoned? Maybe she just got some bad food. <laughs> and the doctor says, no, that's, it's not possible. The chances are nil of that. Uh, they ask about the rate of survival. And with this dose, without any acetop- antitoxin, there's zero chance of uh, survival. Hodge says, well, what is it? It's, Doctor says it's botulism. Botulism, 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 botulism. <laughs> Sorry, call back to an old commercial <laughs> where they said the word botulism over and over again for no reason for 30 seconds. <laughs> I don't remember that one, but I was just rolling with it. <laughs> <laughs> rolling with the homies. Yeah. I love the fact that doctor's like, oh no, there's not a chance. She's absolutely going to die. In fact, three, two, one. Woman crashes. Yes. <laughs> They pull out the paddles and do all the CPR and all that stuff. And Reed gets to say the dramatic line, the test run is over. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, dramatic, sure. Convenient, very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to our next scene, and it's some corporate-looking environment. We see a very suspicious looking figure in a blue hat walking down a corridor and he's keeping his face down and and hidden. Uh, He walks past a group of business people who are all chatting and seem excited. They don't really notice him. They've got their backpacks packed. Uh, It looks like they're going camping or on a a, a retreat or something. Then we follow a, a woman down the hall and we zoom back in on our suspicious figure we still can't see his face. I do note that he is wearing a hat that says Reggie's Rentals. And uh, he has a big old name tag on his jacket that says Mike. I'm going to call him Mike. <laughs> yes. Uh, he steps out of view of the camera in a kind of a cool shot. And we see we're at the receptionist desk's uh, receptionist desk. And there's a big sign behind her. that tells us we are at a company called Hitchcock Pharmaceuticals. No and Gene Hitchcock, though, which is very yes, odd. That was my next, the very next sentence out of my mouth. Why am I bothered that there's no T in Hitchcock? Uh, we are in similar mind uh, 
brain thinking there. It, which, which makes me want to call it Heichkai. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we cut back to the station, and Gideon is is reading files uh, on Lynn Dempsey. Because apparently they they always get their files really quick. Uh, <laughs> Lynn, Lynn Dempsey was an executive assistant. She has no expertise at all with chemicals. She doesn't seem to fit the profile of their unsub. Morgan is saying, but the CDC did find LSD and Rohypnol in the candy that she was replacing at the bank. So Hotch says, well, like we said before earlier, if you remember that the unsub would have an accomplice, <laughs> she, she must be an accomplice. And now that uh, she's done her part, the unsub is killing her with botulism because he doesn't need her anymore. Yeah. Phase two, step one, get rid of accomplice. <laughs> Check. <laughs> step two, visit Reggie's rentals. <laughs> Check. <laughs> Uh, Gideon is like, well, what does this tell us about the unsub? Reed says he's far more sophisticated than we realize. The botulism toxin is a very deadly substance, one of the deadliest known to man. It will paralyze the uh, victim until basically choking them to death. Without the antitoxin, a lethal dose will kill you in, in 36 hours. L asks how many people have access to this stuff. And Reed says, uh, apparently this is New Jersey. Everybody has access to it. It's the chemical and pharmaceutical capital of the world. Yeah, I, everything's got headquarters here from Pfizer to Merck. And yeah, the, he's absolutely right there. Having uh, be, Being someone who lives in New Jersey, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Every high school from top to bottom in the state has had at least some sort of fundraising effort sponsored by Merck Corporation. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the yeah. Well, that's an accurate portrayal. Portray absolutely. Yeah, basically this toxin can be ordered in the form of Botox through any chemical or biological lab or even a Botox clinic. Uh, it has to be purified, but any chemist or lab assistant has that capability. So Elle says, so we're looking for chemists and sophisticated lab assistants? And Reed says, yeah, basically that's just what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Let's deliver the profile. Oh, wait, we've already done that. <laughs> So Morgan asks if the unsub is a chemist and has access, what does he need Dempsey for? Getting it says, we don't know yet, but she worked for a company called, and then he looks it up, uh, Hitchcock Pharmaceuticals. Uh -huh. <laughs> Hitchcock. <laughs> uh, yes. Morgan thinks, I mean, Gideon thinks there's a good chance that the unsub worked there as well. So Hot says, let's start with the people who fit the profile, who've also had a recent stressor. Morgan says, like, uh, anybody who's been fired from Hitchcock in the past six months. So next we cut to Garcia in her office. She's Thank talking goodness. to Morgan on Thank the phone. Thank goodness. Long. long yeah. you know, I, I can't deal with an episode where we just mention Garcia and don't actually talk to her. <laughs> She's talking to Morgan, and she calls him Sugar Shack, which I love. I love that nickname, Sugar Shack. Anyway, uh, Hitchcock apparently is this giant company, and there's over 100 people that were fired just in the past year. None of them seem to fit the profile, um, but she does have 30 names of people who were downsized and shut it off to other lame companies with a pay and pay cut and a cut in benefits. Morgan tells her to send us the names and they'll cross reference them with the complaints filed with the local PD. But he does want her to keep digging while she's doing that. She can look for any connection to the first New Jersey Federal Bank. Garcia says she's on it. And uh, Hotch says. Our guy is acting like 
a workplace mass murderer, which means he'd stay close. He plan on his revenge. And L asks if he's a workplace killer, what else does that tell us about him? Hotch says, for one, they don't give themselves up. He's lost his empathy, his moral compass. He's capable of anything. L says, all those innocent people at the bank. And Gideon says, they meant nothing to him. He'll take out anybody to forward his cause, including Dempsey, and eventually even take out himself. That's going to be after he takes finishes taking out his primary targets. Morgan says, we have no idea where he's going to strike next. For all we know, he could po- poison the local reservoir. Hotch says, the local cops haven't gotten any leads out of Dempsey. Why don't you go to Hitchcock so you have any luck to L? So I guess they send her <laughs> off again. <laughs> yeah, Morgan's on the phone with Garcia. L, you... <laughs> yeah. Why don't you go? <laughs> Funny, I can never find Morgan when I'm just handing out assignments. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. We cut to L talking to what I assume is like an admin assistant at Hitchcock. Oh, the pink lady. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, she's not going to be hidden on screen. You know she had to have a speaking part at some point because you don't dress someone like that and not give her a speaking part (laughs) because we're going to notice her wherever she is at. (laughs) Right. Uh, She's telling L Miss Dempsey's boss happens to be away for the week. So that makes us think, oh, maybe he's one of the executives we saw heading out for the retreat. L asks her if there was uh, anyone she could think of who'd want to hurt Miss Dempsey. She says that she wasn't the type of woman that would inspire hatred. She was pretty quiet, a bit awkward. She made a lot of self-deprecating jokes. L asks if she was single, and she says she doesn't know. They never really talked about that kind of thing. And L asks her if there was anything about her behavior that was unusual lately. Um, nothing really, just that she was very busy this last week getting ready for this big corporate retreat. So. <laughs> there was that one moment last Thursday when I said, where are you going with that big bucket of botulism? And she didn't answer me. <laughs> <laughs> no such luck? No? <laughs> uh, no such luck. Elle asks if she could take a look through her things, and she's like, yeah, the police already did, but go for it. We uh, cut back to the police station. Gideon and Morgan are also still looking through the files. And uh, Morgan tells Gideon some of these layoffs were pretty brutal. There's in particular one chemical engineer who'd been at Hitchcock 19 years, and then he was downsized. Gideon says, uh, that could certainly inspire some homicidal rage, huh? <laughs> and uh, Morgan says this guy was in his late 40s, head of the department. But he definitely had a generous severance package, and Gideon points out all of these guys seem to be living off of their pension. They may not be happy about the situation, but he doesn't really see them killing anybody. They don't fit the profile. None of these guys fit the profile. Boom, boom, boom. There you go. Well, so they're done. That's it. No one left. No no suspects left. Uh, Time to go home, right? Case closed. They lost this week, AJ. Oh, man. No. Uh, Morgan's phone rings. And it's Garcia. Which phone? Which phone? The hot yeah. phone or the other phone? <laughs> and uh, she calls him Cochise, which is another nice nickname. <laughs> I enjoy I tell you, they're just fun together. <laughs> uh, she found apparently a chemist who works at a company that was bought out by Hitchcock called Palme Cosmetics. Here's the thing that Lynn Dempsey applied for a loan at uh, New Jersey Federal Bank. Around the same time that this chemist had applied for a patent patent on an anti-aging breakthrough technology thing called PC-099, uh, Morgan says maybe he applied for a loan in her name to make this product. 
Garcia thought about that, but apparently both the loan and the patent were rejected because Hitchcock had already applied for the patent and that deal had gone through New Jersey Federal Bank. Disgruntled employee because of work product ownership. Ugh. Ugh. Should have known, AJ. We should have known. Of course that's what this case is about. (laughs) (laughs) So Garcia is tracking his cell phone and she has a bead on his location. We cut to... She's good. She can multitask. She's good like that. Yeah. We cut to an industrial looking building. And the SWAT team and police cars are rolling up on the spot. Yeah, we, I, I want to know how they time travel back to the 1970s with this music that's played underneath. <laughs> and uh, Starsky and Hutch get out of a car. And, um, they I'm throw in a fool who's going to put some botulism in me. <laughs> <laughs> they open a, 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 a garage door at like one of those truck loading docks bay things and uh they throw in a smoke bomb and infiltrate the building and we see uh, beakers and flasks so we know <laughs> dr bunsen honeydew no we we clearly get the picture that this is a lab but then we see from a different area there's a man looking at all these going on uh, outside a window um, but all of a sudden morgan is behind him cocking his gun saying don't move sucker Hey, you know, <laughs> you don't. I think Morgan's probably just only disappointed that he didn't get to tackle somebody this episode. Right. right. Yeah, everybody gave up like right away. Uh, Freeze, job uh, turkey! <laughs> <laughs> we cut to uh, see this man that uh, this man that they found in, in the in the old interrogation room. Hotch is pointing out that he let us take him. That no problem. He didn't kill himself. He doesn't really seem to fit the profile of a workplace killer. And Gideon is like, hey, sometimes you miss the mark. But uh, let's be glad we did. You know, sometimes you, you, hit, you, hit, you hit the tree, but you don't get the whole forest. You know, but like, we're in the forest in the first place. And that's all I remember. <laughs> yeah. But he's still their best chance of, of stopping the next attack. Apparently, this guy's name is Hill. His last name is Hill. Hanover comes in to say that Hill's lab had traces of botulism toxin. But no clue. They don't have any clue to what he's up to next. Uh, so Hotch says, well, we have to make him tell us. Hanover is asking if, if they can. And Reed says, once these types get caught, they usually do. They want the whole world to know about their brilliant plan to destroy their enemies. Yeah, they suffer from Goldfinger syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Bond, I suppose you're wondering why I haven't killed you yet. Well, first I must tell you everything about my plan and exactly how you could stop me if you were going to escape, which you are certainly not going to do. <laughs> yes. So Gideon says, well, let's, let's go at it from every angle. We need to re-examine everything we need know about this guy. So Reed is going to check out all the witness reports and forensic evidence to see if he can get any clue on the plan. Gideon says, yes, a lot of lives could be at stake if we hadn't gotten that by now. AJ, hey, a lot know, of lives. We're, we're, you know, we're at that key crux. We're at the 40 minute mark or so. We got to emphasize that there are stakes. Commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, we come back and Hotch is interrogating our suspect, Mr. Hill, asking him if he was romantically involved with Lynn Dempsey. He asks, is that what she said? And Hot says, well, that's what her sister said. 
And Elle told us about three hours after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> she never even talked to her I mean, that we knew of, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hill starts telling, spilling the tea, basically. He says, you know, fact is, uh, Lynn Dempsey was already dead. That company killed her years ago. And also this company took everything from him, all the fruits of his labor, the best years of his life. They took his family. And when there was nothing left to take, they also took two thirds of his salary and his health insurance. Hodge says, well, you have the opportunity now to treat people with mercy that they never showed you. Can you help us out? Help a brother out. Let us know what's going to happen. Hill says he can't even begin to tell them how little all of this means to him. Hotch asks him, well, what would it mean to your children? And Hill does look thoughtful at this. Gideon goes in with, listen, you worked hard. You played by the rules your whole life. You don't want to go out like this. Uh, if you do, you stoop to their level. There's there's things we can do for you. Uh, it's Gideon's switch, too. He's got he's got an A switch yeah. and a B switch. It's like when he, when he needs them to talk, it's all, look, I'm your best friend. I totally understand. I am empathize with you completely <laughs> whereas the other you know uh, the alternative is you're a stupid idiot <laughs> yeah and he's yeah like you said he's a mr nice guy right now hill is like well what could you do for us hotch says well we're fbi we have influence with justice if you have a legitimate claim we can see to it that you get fair compensation and credit that's all you really wanted right a fair deal hill says yes that's all he ever wanted and Gideon is still playing the, he's on his side. He says, of course, you don't think this company knows that they screwed you? You don't think everything they do, every move they make is, isn't is designed to screw people like you? He'll ask, oh, could you really do all these things? And Hutch says something very interesting here, AJ. Go for it. Is, I learned something about Hutch. He says, yep. uh, yeah, yeah, we can do this. This is my ABA card. I'm a lawyer and I'm offering to take your case. If you accept, I have to do what you say. This whole thing is being videotaped. I can't lie to you about anything here. <laughs> I didn't know about the videotape no backseas rule, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I mean, you know, uh, he is uh, right in the fact that he can't offer to take the case you know, in, in the in the course of negotiations under this, you know, he can't represent himself as a lawyer and then go back seize on it. So, you know, right. it's just like he can't say, ah, oh, lawyer claim privilege, lawyer claim privilege. Oh, well, I was just kidding about actually being a lawyer. <laughs> so obviously he needs to set that boundary. I think that's the part of it that he's saying <laughs> that right. I can't be lying about this. <laughs> right. So basically Hill says he'd like his sons to know that their dad created something. He created something good. Gideon says, Ed, tell us, what did you do? And uh, he says, there's a party this afternoon in the executive building. All the departments get together and there's a punch bowl, dot, dot, dot. Uh, so we cut to the party. Ellen Morgan rush in. And of course, there's a woman right about to take a sip of this foresaid punch. Uh, oh, no, stop. Put that down. Everybody put it down. You know, there's a chance that the, what you're doing is contaminated. And everybody, they cut to everybody at the party who has the punch in their hand. And I'm just thinking, why? Nobody's drinking anything yet? Uh, <laughs> they just caught the one lady who was about to <laughs> put, the, put the sip. Well, I mean, at least they didn't do like, do like a, a time lapse cutback where it's like, you know, someone with a ladle. <laughs> yeah. Cut the Morgan running up the elevator. Cut the ladle, scooping it into the bowl, from the bowl into the cop. Morgan pressing the button frantically, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, at least it wasn't that. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, everybody take it easy. We're just going to come around, ask you questions. And then we see JJ is reporting to Gideon that everyone is okay. The punch indeed tested positive for botulism toxin. Um, and some people did have some symptoms, but they were able to get the antitoxin to everyone there. Uh, Everything is averted. Phase two was a failure. Let's lock up Hill, get on the jet, and go back home. Episode over. We won! Hooray! No, AJ, no! Oh, man! Gideon is not satisfied. Hotch, Hotch asks him what's up, and Gideon says, well, there's still seven minutes left of this episode, (laughs) so we have to have something else, right? No, he doesn't say that. (laughs) He says, uh, this doesn't make any sense. Why, did, why didn't why did Hill take his own life when we had him surrounded? Reed comes in, says, guys, I think we've got a problem. Reed was looking over the victim reports, and one of the victims that was originally dosed was severely diabetic, which means he wouldn't have been taking candy from that jar in the bank. Uh, and so, another victim had been out front and he had stolen candy from a baby earlier. It was yes, very easy, uh, he said. And so he didn't need any more candy. <laughs> so Reed has basically figured out that something else must have had poison as well. He's gone back over the security camera tapes. And uh, when Lynn Dempse- Dempsey was messing with the candy, if you look at her other hand, it was on a stack of these deposit envelopes which I don't get why they wouldn't have noticed that before, but hey, okay. Well, because they were looking at the angle that didn't have that before. <laughs> it was not on the tape before when they originally showed it to us. This was uh, just, oh, Reed looked at it again. No, you just you shot the other footage on this time. It, this was an unfair trick. Unfair on this one. Yeah, I agree. But yes, she, she had poisoned the... N, the envelopes. Yes, which is what she was trying to say in the hospital. If only she had a regional accent and pronounced them envelopes. The on, <laughs> the on. <laughs> and JJ would have been the on. <laughs> the on star, the on star in her car. Quick, we got to find out where she went. <laughs> so now we figured out that she was talking about the the envelopes. What was Hill actually testing? Not the drugs, but the delivery system for the drugs. Botulism <laughs> toxin. At which point, Hotch, Hotch, no, I just think Hotch goes, wait a second. Does that mean the punch bowl is an envelope? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, so, no, he's smarter no. than that. He's a lawyer. Yes. You just learned that. <laughs> yeah, so they mentioned that Botulism, toxin, and LSD are the only two substances in the world toxic enough to be effective in doses as small as thousandths of a gram, which would be small enough to fit on the glue strip of an envelope. They say, well, but the CC didn't find anything on the envelopes. Yeah, because the ones that were used were already were used and were thrown away, so they didn't look at the right spot, basically. So they figure that Hill was using the candy to throw them off of his cover to cover his tracks, distract them from the fact that he was testing the envelopes out and the punch was a decoy just like the candy. He's not finished, Gideon. We got to get him. (laughs) And then the door opens and Lenny and Squiggy enter. Hello. (laughs) 
<laughs> because yes. all this time, even though there's a giant picture window behind them where he was sitting, not a single one of them even glanced over in that direction because he is choking to death yes. on his own insides. Yeah. Uh, he is indeed dead. Uh, Gideon says, I oh, killed himself before we even ever got to him. Hotch calls uh, Morgan and, uh, and and actually Morgan calls Hotch. Sorry, I got that backwards because of probably how he spoke. Hotch, this is Morgan. What's up? You must have called me. <laughs> uh, and he's saying, listen, uh, these victims I'm looking at from Hitchcock, it doesn't seem to add up. They're all lower level, regular office workers. And then this guy's trying to get back at the people who screwed him. And none of those people are here. Uh, what do you mean? Where are they? The entire upper management staff is away on a corporate retreat. <laughs> Wait, Kintad, what is a corporate retreat? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. And apparently the office manager did mention to Elle that yes. Dempsey was organizing a retreat. <laughs> so, so Hill wasn't using Dempsey for access to the office party. No, he was using her for access to the retreat. Where are these executives? Can they be reached? No, not until tomorrow. They're out in the middle of the woods somewhere. Uh, one of those no cell phones allowed type of things. What were they doing there? They were doing bonding, exercising, playing games, that kind of stuff. Hotch is like, what kind of games? Reindeer games, Hotch. Reindeer <laughs> games. We cut to the retreat and uh, the boss, I'm assuming the CEO or whoever of this company is talking about them doing some kind of vote. You're going to talk about the qualities you admire most, and we're going to tally these votes to find out who the new team leader is. They don't want a repeat of last year's fiasco, <laughs> which I'm thinking maybe they would have preferred <laughs> compared to this year's fiasco. He brought along some envelopes. <laughs> the uh, They all start basically licking these envelopes. <laughs> I, and I will say, every single one of them is wearing a shirt that says Hitchcock Retreat, Hitchcock Industries Retreat, whatever, Hitchcock Pharmaceutical. And I'm thinking now I've cracked the code here because all of the shirts are, don't have the T. I think there was a typo when they printed the shirts out. And then they <laughs> said they went back and had to take the T off the wall and slide it together <laughs> call the company Hitchcock without the T because some, some intern forgot spelled it wrong when they printed the T-shirts for this scene. <laughs> it makes me want to check, you know, phone records. Are there Hitchcocks out there? There probably are. Oh, of course, I'm sure probably. there are. It's, 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 it's just a thing. <laughs> it's like, you, you, it's fictional. Why would you spell it that way? Well, maybe it's, you know, oh, I went to summer camp with a guy who spelled his name that way. You know, whatever. It, it, yeah. It's nothing, but we're going to harp on it because, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically we have the, you know, frantic them trying to find all these guys. And, uh, oh, we've checked the first three campsites. We don't have anything. Uh, we can't find them. Wait a minute. They're getting a radio message from the Stadies. They found something near Access Road and trail end number six. And the EMTs are on the way. They get there and the guys are all in bad shape. They're, they're all sick, leaning over, you know, various stages of sickness. They run over to the guy that apparently is the sickest. They ask what time he licked the envelopes. They said around 1230 and they go to him. You're going to be fine. We're going to give you this antitoxin. Everything's going to be cool. Everything yeah. is fine. 
there is zero reason for anyone from the BAU to be here right now. <laughs> yes, completely. <laughs> there's absolutely, there's no reason. Just you need the CDC guy with the antitoxin. The, the state police found them. They were absolutely 100% able to find them. They would have found them without the BAU. They didn't have to split up into 15 different groups or anything like that. They just went, eh, not that one, not that one, not that one. Ah, here, we found them on the last one on the trail. Okay, we're done. No reason for them to be there other than the fact that if they hadn't been there, we would have said, well, why didn't they show us that? <laughs> yeah. so, I know they can't win on this, but really, they could have shown it without the VAU being there. Or they could have gotten a call like, they found them. It's okay. <sighs> we got the toxic yeah. to them. Yeah. It, they they just did this for giving us, you know, 40 seconds of drama, I guess. Yes, which was the least dramatic thing they've done this episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, whatever. The jet go <laughs> yeah back to the jet we have our in show quote confucius warned us Ooh. Ooh. he warned us uh before you um, embark on a journey of revenge dig two graves mm, yeah meaning one for yourself aj <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought because you get the accomplice first and, <laughs> and then the oh. target. Dig oh, three graves. <laughs> so Hotch is uh, on the plane. He's talking to JJ, telling her she ought to sleep. She's just finishing her report. He says, are you okay? JJ, I guess, has been, even though we didn't see it that much, she's been really emotionally affected this, this on this particular case. She's also saying uh, there's always another case. I guess this is where she's going through her files. I guess you told me before, she's sort of the person who picks out their next case. Maybe this is our first glimpse of that kind of yeah, uh, dynamic. Yeah, I think they're figuring out what her job is. Well, what does she do when she's not handling the media on the road? Like, okay, she's, she's hey, we got it. She can pick the cases. <laughs> she yeah. can, they get 100 requests. They can only do two or three. She's got to, you know, you got to have some sort of triage. She's in charge of triage. So, yeah. yeah. She asks uh, Hotch why, uh, out of all the departments, he chose BAU. Uh, and then he gets some more talk about him being a lawyer. It's like, you know, I prosecuted all these dozens of murder cases. By the time they reached my desk, I felt like it was too late. And I wanted to stop them before they got to my desk. That doesn't really answer your question. No, it doesn't. She says, I, I and he says, I guess I'm still trying to figure it out. I should try and get some sleep and we fade out with uh, some Wilco on the soundtrack asking us uh, what would we be without all the wishful thinking yeah although uh, there was a brief moment before they fade out where JJ has been lurking looking through the files and she's finishing up the file on the case they just finished and she puts it into an, a manila envelope and she goes to lick it and she stops for a second and she just yes. does the class which is kind of a little yeah. funny little funny little note that yeah she is paying attention and she has been affected even when you don't realize you were affected by these cases you are affected by these cases right. so it was, i thought it was a nice little touch well how did you that was the episode how did you uh feel about this particular one I thought it was a good episode. Not not great by any means. I, I thought uh, they had 30 to 35 minutes of an episode and they had to figure out a way to make it closer to the 42 to 47 that they needed <laughs> to fill it out. So, yeah, yeah not great. Not, but at least like I said it was, it was a different type of case. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I always like when they explain this is what we're looking for. And this is what we found, and you can see that influences how we proceed, and hopefully it works out. 
So I, you know, when you deal with the process, I like it. It wasn't the most dramatic case, you know, in that regard. So, you know, but, but again, it's no uh, stink bomb either. Yeah. It was enjoyable. And the characters, you were learning more about the characters as well. If you're, if you're not going to entertain me with the case, at least give me, give me character development. I think we got a lot here. Yeah. Hotch is a lawyer. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I felt pretty much the same way. Uh, like, certainly not the worst episode and not among the tops. So, an average, an average episode. Uh, yeah. Nothing horrible, though. So, our next thing that we like to do is discuss if this case was a win or not. We check our barometer. What's the scoop, AJ? Yeah, well, this is uh, our 13th episode, uh, lucky number 13. We are doing quite well. Nine wins, one loss, two ties. I'm going to call this one a draw, though. I am going to call this one a draw. I mean, they didn't even think to consider that the unsub might kill himself while in custody. That's <laughs> never a good look. And although it was, you know, it was probably just the result of the poison that he had already ingested kicking in, it, it just they were caught completely off guard by that. Uh, yeah, they had 50 potential victims between the punch bowlers and the corporate retreaters. And the punch bowl, yes, they were saved, but as it turns out, that wasn't, that was just, you know, a decoy, so maybe the dose wasn't going to be large enough to kill those people, just make them sick. The real targets, they didn't need to be there when they saved them, so, I mean, yeah, they got them pointed in the right direction. I don't think they did anything special, and I think the cops probably could have figured this out without their help or just a little push. So I'm going to call this a tie. All righty. Another tie. So there we are for our score this week. And uh, next, we like to do a little quiz on the episode. Uh, oh, I love me the trivia. Yeah, I love to test you. See where your head is at if you can come up with some answers to uh, some trivia questions based on the episode that we just saw. So, question number one, sir. Braden LaMasters. That is an actor. He was a child actor, and he played our first victim, a.k.a. the kid who was beaten by his LSD-dosed dad in that first scene. Uh, he would go on to have a little bit of a career uh, beyond this one one-off episode. For two seasons, he was on the show Men of a Certain Age, playing <laughs> the son of what actor? <laughs> okay. We've had a Men of a Certain Age reference on our show, which gave me uh, a brief remembrance of that show, but only brief because I don't think I really watched it. I don't think he would have played Andre Brower's son, just based on unless he was playing, you know, an, an adoptee or, or something. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to throw a guess out there. He was uh, Ray Romano's son. Oh, yeah. Ray Romano is the correct answer. Everybody loves me, but nobody watched my show. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Indeed. Uh, Ray Romano, well done. Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, one for one. Let's keep this ball rolling here. Question two. Founded in 1983, what was the original name of the band Poison? Looking at the band Poison, I'm going to give you multiple choice on this. Don't worry. Okay. I was like, uh, what? What was the original name of the band? Well, you see, the first question, men of certain age, you kind of 
multiple choice itself, if you remembered the show. You know, was it Bacula? Was it Romano? Was it Brower? Right. All right. What was the original name of the band Poison? Is it A, Laser Tag? Was it B, 100 CCs? Was it C, Paris? Or was it D, Rocket Boys? (laughs) Uh, I've never known them as anything but Poison. So I have no clue. And none of those names give me any real hint. So I'm going to give a complete guess. And I'm going to say it was a laser tag. Oh, sorry. Sorry. It was not laser tag. Although uh, uh, Brett Michaels was originally in a band called Laser. Uh, He then uh, met up with the rest of the boys here. Uh, which included CC, hence 100 CCs, and a guy named Rocket, hence Rocket Boys, but they formed a band called Paris. Oh, okay. Changed it when they finally signed a record deal, thinking that, yeah, Poison sounds a little better. (laughs) I wonder if if Rat did anything similar. (laughs) Well, they were originally (laughs) London. (laughs) Every, Every band has to name himself after a European city and then change it right before they get big, I think. All right. The final question, and my favorite question each week, of course, is where we get to see if you can predict the plot of the next episode that we're going to do, uh, based solely on the title. So, discussing the plot of Chronomine Season 1, Episode 14, entitled, Riding the Lightning. Riding the Lightning. Which of the following four plot summaries is actually what we're going to be watching next week? Is it A... A series of kidnappings, each end with the victim's electrocuted body being left at a local church. Is it B, dismembered bodies begin to appear shortly after severe lightning storms? Is it C, hobos go missing and nobody seems to care? That is until an old friend of Gideon's asks him to take a closer look. Or is it D, the BAU goes to death row in order to get one last interview with a pair of serial killers. Oh, gosh. AJ. <laughs> I never know these. I'm going to go away from the literal because last I feel like last time or a few times ago, I, a few cases here, I've been going with the trying to go with the literal and it doesn't seem to be where you're going with it. But then, of course, that always means you could be saying, well, I didn't last time, so this time. Oh, boy. You're Wallace shawning me. Uh, or I'm Wallace shawning you. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, for no particular reason, other than I don't want to go literal this time, I'm going to go with C, the hobos. See the hobos. Excellent, excellent. You are 100% absolutely wrong. Yeah, I <laughs> figured. Not. Yes, we are going to do, essentially, take a look at what the BAU was originally founded to do, and that is to talk to the serial killers themselves and find out what makes them tick. BAU is going to go to the death row to get one last interview with a pair of serial killers before they go and visit old Sparky. 
I'm I'm uh I'm looking forward to that. That sounds fun. Yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty good episode. I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, not you know not some weeks I, I am a little more non-committal, but this is this is a good episode. I think it's a pretty good character uh, study that you're going to get into. So we're going to learn a lot about people. Okay, well I'm happy. I, I at least kept sort of to my one for three uh, batting average uh, for this week. So indeed, nice. indeed, uh, at this rate you'll be in the Hall of Fame, my friend. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, that was fun. And folks, guess what? That's the show for this week. Thank you so much for joining us, as always. Uh, I hope you had a great time. Please be sure to uh, subscribe to, rate, review our podcast. Let other people know about it. Spread the word. You can write to us if you'd like at poloniuspundits at gmail.com. Still waiting for it. <laughs> An email. <laughs> so that would Get be nice. on that. I think there's something wrong with the email server. <laughs> There must be. Uh, and also, we have a, a Twitter. Look for us, Felonious Pundits. If you search that, you'll find our Twitter name, which I forget every week. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgard. I'm saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. We found traces of a certain toxic adhesive commonly found in very low-priced envelopes. A doctor to George Costanza on Seinfeld.